You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. After every downturn, you see two different behaviours. You see a rush to quality and you see a rush to price. People will save up and, and be happy to spend more on, on something expensive for a memorable experience, a special occasion or whatever. And they'll spend in the meantime, they'll spend on, on, on cheaper stuff. What they don't do is spend on the middle. The Silicon Valley giants have been slowly eating our lunch over the last 10 years. I think sport now faces an existential crisis because I, I don't think we've seen the, the, the full depth of the economic crisis. Um, my, my suspicion is, is there will be a lot of nervousness around returning to live events. People have had a lot of psychological damage from it. And I think people have had other ways to spend their time and money. I've worked clubs and I know what it's like, you know, we're, we're all on a treadmill, we're going match to match, week to week, going to the CEO and saying, look, we've got this strategic approach, it's going to take two or three years to, to mature, no one has the time for that. So they end up being very executional, we just create content for its own sake. Hi there, welcome to Sports Content Strategy, my name is Richard Clark. My guest this time is Ben Wells, he's the Chief Commercial Officer at PTI Digital. They're an up-and-coming company in the UK, doing a lot of good work with a lot of sports organisations. There wasn't a particular topic I wanted to talk about with Ben. He's just a very intelligent, thoughtful guy on trends within the sporting industry, particularly within the UK. Got a lot of experiences here to discuss. However, we're in a particular moment in time, aren't we? Looking to come out of the lockdown in the UK, looking to re-emerge. How's sport going to handle that? And Ben's got some very firm views, very well-informed views about what sport should do over what he calls this existential crisis. As I said, my name is Richard Clark. I'm a sports digital consultant. I work in the areas of communication strategy, content strategy, digital, digital marketing, etc. You can find me at mrrichardclark.com or on all social at mrrichardclark. Anyway, let's talk to Ben. And please don't mind the interruption from his dog, all good colour and all that, but postmen don't turn up till 11.30 these days. Whew. Standards are slipping in that industry, but uh, not so in digital with Ben Wells around. Here he is. My name's Ben Wells. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at PTI Digital Group. Uh, my background is quite varied. Uh, I've been in the industry more years than I care to remember, nearly 25 now, which is um, actually quite scary when I put it like that. But half my time has been spent... At club side, uh, I spent six years running marketing and sponsorship at Chelsea. I spent three years at Bath Rugby uh, as chief commercial officer. And the rest of my time, I've spent uh, working for a variety of agencies, Red Mandarin, uh, Octagon, and uh, running my own business. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who, I'm, I'm a curious person. Um, I, I read an awful lot. Um, in lots of different walks of life, trying to find answers to things that I'm probably never going to solve. Um, but I, I, I've been banging a drum for the last 10 years around um, around the digital age and what it actually means for sport, um, and, you know, trying to define what digital is, trying to get sport to, to recognise both the, the threat and, and opportunities presented by it, which I think we've been very slow to do. And, and it's an interesting time to talk about it because I, I think um, I think the COVID crisis has, has accelerated that conversation now by five or 10 years. We'll come to that in a minute because that, that was on my list of questions, that acceleration. Um, you gave me a nice soundbite as part of uh, pre-chat emails. You said... The digital age is the second industrial revolution. Convince me, Ben. Convince me. 
Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I often use this chart when I'm, I'm um, trying to sort of tell this story, but, but I, I like to look at, you know, the sport isn't great at, at looking outside of its own boundaries. I mean, I remember when I was at Chelsea and we started looking at data and I was encouraged in certainly to go and see what Manchester United were doing. I thought, well, we will do that. But, but, you know, Amazon are the guys leading the way here. Um, and we went to speak to Amazon uh, to see what we could learn from, from best practice globally uh, rather than maybe what was or wasn't best practice within sport. And I think sport's very, very bad at that. Um, it's getting better, certainly. But it's a very simple chart uh, that, that I actually used very recently, which, you know, if you look at, if you look at the biggest companies in the world um, by market capitalization, historically, they've always come from retail, pharmaceutical, banking and, and energy. And that was the case all the way through to, to about 2009, 2010. Um, Microsoft had obviously been in and out of the top 10 over the previous 20 years, um, but they were, the only, um, they were the only tech company there uh, 10 years ago. 2019, 2020, seven of the top 10 are tech companies. Um, and it's not, just, it's not just the dominance of one sector, whereas normally they've been four, four or five in the top 10 the market caps of those companies are are significantly bigger than the top 10, 10 years ago. Uh, and there's one reason for that and it's data. And, 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 you know, these guys, I mean, if you look at you know, Amazon's share price uh, is, 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 is back weighted. There is so much confidence in what they've built. They've been running at a loss for such a long time. And lots of people saying, well, you know, how can a company be that big and it's running at a loss? Well, they've invested now. And once that engine is built, then you know, watch them go. I don't think we've seen anything yet with Amazon. Um, so, so, so I mean, that that for me is 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 where we are. Data enables scale. Scale enables profit. And um, the companies that that are digitally enabled companies that are that understand that that scalable growth are the ones that are going to own the next 30, 40, 50 years. Um, and, and, and my my feeling very much with sport is is that we we've, we've just not understood that. I don't think I'm not saying for one second that you know a, a, a small football club is suddenly going to become a new Google. But there's certainly an awful lot that we can apply from from what companies like Google and, and, and Facebook have done to the way that we think. Just to take your analogy, have I convinced you? Sorry, have uh, I convinced? Kind of, kind of, kind of. Yeah, I was thinking about this before the interview, um, and uh, just taking it a little bit further. Uh, and trying to think back to my O-level GCSE history with the Industrial Revolution, Isambard Kingdom, Brunel, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the Luddites. Yes, yeah, exactly, that we used to do. The one thing that was interesting then, of course, the, the, the techniques were pushed, were, were pushed forward, were developed, and taken on by different people. Well, actually, what, what we've seen is Facebook have changed the rules over the years from from edge rank many years ago control of the algorithm you've seen what google are doing with regard to cookies so that it is not like all the tools are uh liberally available of course you can use them or you just got to play their game so those factors of production to use a phrase that i used to use in 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 gcse history um they're not quite as liberally available. You've got to play. Uh, uh, what I'm saying is, do you have to play the game of these tech companies and just play it exceptionally well with an overall strategy? Well, I mean, and what we've done in the last 10 years, I think, as, as these platforms have, have, have come on, they've, it's no coincidence that, that they've become uh, powerful at a time when traditional media has fragmented. And, uh, you know, sport is obsessed with, 
big numbers, whether they're real or not, because they sound impressive. And as linear channels have become less prevalent and less popular and audiences have dispersed, these platforms have, on the face of it, offered a, a way to create reach. And, and all we've done in doing that is effectively outsource our engagement strategies to Silicon Valley, who are keeping all the data and making all the money off it. And you know, we are running around as, as individuals. It's not just sport. Many, many organizations have done this. Um, we've done the work for them. You know, the, the reason these guys are, are doing so, they are so powerful is that everyone around the world unquestioningly has, um, uh, you, you know, has been aggregating their customer bases, sticking them on Facebook or, or, or wherever and gift wrapping them for Mark Zuckerberg, um, who, you know, is, is I'm sure very grateful for that, um, but has actually given nothing back in terms of, well, who are those, who are those, uh, who are those people? What are they doing? Uh, the, and these guys, these guys know more about our customers than we do. And it, it's fascinating when, you know, you see people talking about the future of media rights and, and obviously over the top is a, another word which gets thrown around, but certainly the world is going direct to consumer control of that customer relationship is critical because there is no way that if, if, and, you know, we, Facebook have been unequivocal that they aren't moving into this space, but Amazon remain uh, a bit of an enigma. They've played, they've, they've done more in this space than others, but ultimately why would these guys offer a, a similar structure deal to, um, to, to rights holders that, you know, traditional broadcasters do when they know they, they, they own your customers. They, they, they know exactly what car they're driving. They know where they go on holiday. And, and, and as a consequence, they have the advertiser relationship. So over and above actually owning the rights to your content, you have no leverage. And that's where, for me, the battleground has probably been lost, I think, for sport. I think that's that, that it may be that, that horse has bolted. It's frustrating as it was conversations I was having with, with rights holders five, six years ago about fighting back uh, and maybe it's not too late but it has to start soon because ultimately you know we're going to be in a position where we have no leverage you talked about the use of content there what's the what's your strategic position for content well again i i i, I sort of answer these questions by taking several steps back and and you know sport again hasn't been great at understanding marketing um, marketing is not seen as a commercial activity, mostly because it's it's not driving something in the here and now. Um, and, you know, this is all, all the best brands, all the biggest brands in the world are smart marketing brands. You know, they've taken time not only to build value in their customer base and their customer relationships, but they build value in their own brand. It, it's what people call goodwill on the balance sheet. And I think that's, that's ultimately something that, that we've got quite a long way to go on in terms of having that equity. But ultimately, you know, uh, because we don't understand it, we, we tend to think very short term. And this I've worked clubs. So I know what it's like. You know, we're, we're all on a treadmill. We're going match to match, week to week. And you know, going to the CEO and saying, look, we've got this we've got this strategic approach. It's going to take two or three years to um, to, to mature. No one has the time for that. And um uh, you know, so they end up being very executional and, and content, we, we just create content for its own sake. And back to that whole 
concept of, of just maximizing reach you know we launch on you know facebook instagram like tiktok we launch on tiktok and we pump the same stuff out across multiple channels not understanding why people are using or not using them and how they're using them or not using them um and ultimately what it does is it it means a whole lot of work for a whole lot of people and and in my view it doesn't add up to a whole hill of beans this this needs to come back to to strategy and ultimately what role does content play what role does data play what role do do um what role do uh, do all your digital platforms play i mean you know number of people have rushed out and decided that an app is the answer without even asking what the question is and the problem ends up being them because it does add up to a huge amount. It gets written off as being the emperor's new clothes. And it's just been one of those things that hasn't been understood. This was true in the pre-digital age. Marketing's always been a sales support function in sport. Um, but for me now, you know, I think we're going to see a, a very different customer, customer dynamic post pandemic. And I think, you know, the days of, uh, of, of, you know, running, sports clubs as event businesses with you know a, a yield management program where we're desperately sort of trying to rearrange the deck chairs to try and get an extra two percent yield on our seating inventory are gone these are these are the days now where we need to start thinking about innovation about creation and understanding what it is people want to buy rather than what we have to sell and, and that requires that requires a strategic approach underpinned by data insights but it requires us to unthink completely what we are as organizations if you're in that industry. I want to come back to that because that's a really important point you made at the end there. But I think first we need to talk about the sports commercial model. And I know you've been hugely critical of it over the years. It's, it's cobbled together. It's, it's, um, it's, it's not a strategic model. Effectively, it's, it tends to be a short-term cash grab. Um, and yet, of course, applied to that, you've got and what you've been talking about there is is the innovators dilemma to a certain extent we're making some cash but we need to rebuild this plane while we're flying it kind of thing and, and that, yeah. is, that is difficult that is difficult we have to accept that but just tell us your thoughts on the sports commercial model um the history and then we'll talk about how it might change kobe which you've already talked about a bit but just give us the history lesson first well, I mean, it has been cobbled together. No one sat down and said, "This is let's design something." Um, you know, we 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 had sport. We then started selling tickets to it. Then someone thought, "Well, actually, there are some quite wealthy people that come to these things, and they would like not to have to sit with the hoi polloi and queue with the plebs. So they've got a bit more cash. We can create a premium product for them, and we ended up with hospitality." Um, you know, in the, in the late seventies, people started realizing that, that we could get some media value. I mean, sponsorship at that time was sort of seen a lot as a, as a proxy for advertising, but it, it was a way to get brand, uh, messaging into content and, and, and that was created and, but, it, but there's never been a sort of a, a, a time when people sat around and said, this is what it should look like. And, and so it's, it's been an organic, um, it's been an organic growth and, and, I think what we've done is we've, we've, we've thought iteratively, how do we improve the model by two, five, 10%? Um, no one's really had the time because as we all know, I mean, Richie work club side as well. It is a, it is a hamster wheel. I mean, there isn't a single club out there. I think where there's, there are employees where, you know, their job isn't affected by the result on Saturday. Um, whether that's sort of a, a reverse ferret on what was a policy before the, 
the, we lost at the weekend and now we're going to do something completely different or you know, the mood around the place changing at the team lot loser, which is, which is insane, but it's just, it's just, it's just the way sport is, as we know. Um, but this for me, you know, is, is, is thinking time and rethinking time as one of our clients said recently, uh, you know, he said, if, if you haven't realized that you need to do something completely different after the experience, of the last 12 months, you, you've had your head down the toilet and, and, I think that's right. I'll be completely honest. I think there's a lot of CEOs out there in sports organizations who are completely frazzled by the last 12 months. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for that. Um, you, you know, certainly in the early days of, of the COVID pandemic, when everyone was trying to come to grips with, you know, people were planning for 19 different scenarios, knowing full well that it would probably be scenario 20, which was the one they hadn't planned for, which actually came to pass because things were moving so quickly. And it's been very, very difficult, but, for me, I, I think now, I think whereas, you know, the, uh, the, the, the sort of the Silicon Valley giants have been slowly eating our lunch over the last 10 years, I think sport now faces an existential crisis um, because I, I don't think we've seen the, the, the full depth of the economic uh, impact of this, uh, this crisis. Um, I, I, I don't know. My, my suspicion is, is there will be a lot of nervousness around returning to live events. People have had a lot of psychological damage from it. And I think people found other ways to spend their time and money from having had a year away. And I look back to 2008, the, 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 the banking crisis and, you know, season ticket sales held up pretty well. But, but, you know, it was one of those things, I think, where when times were tough, people were very reluctant. That was, the, that was their outlet. They kept that one going because, you know, uh, it was their outlet for, for frustration. But, you know, you add in a financial um, crisis, which, as I say, I don't think we, we've, been, we've got anywhere near the bottom of yet, to psychological damage and the fact people have got out of the habit and their behaviour has changed. I think it's going to be it's going to be problematic for sport. Um but certainly below a premium level and maybe even above a premium level. But, you know, we've got to, we've got to understand now that, 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 that we've, we've got a radical, we need a radical way of thinking about it. But I think if we can get our heads around that, it's a golden opportunity for that reset and, and saying actually all those things that we've built up over time, what are the good bits? We'll keep hold of those and, and maybe we'll build on those. And what are the things that don't work? You know, sport, everyone knows this in clubs, a lot of stuff people do, they just do because they've always done it. And it's easy to get into a rhythm and a routine. And look, that's human nature. That happens in a lot of industries. But but I think now is the time to, to sort of blank sheet of paper and, and say, what is it we want to be as a business? What are our assets? What make us unique? Who are our customers? What do they want? Um, what can we give them? And how does that work? And I think we'll see, I think we'll see a, a, a realignment of sponsorship value. I've been saying this for a long time that I think sponsorship will go cashless. Um, uh, that's not, that's not via Apple pay. I mean, I think the, what I mean is, is that partnerships will become partnerships, you know, 15 years ago, most sports organizations changed their sponsorship departments, name to partnerships to look more progressive and more, more uh, collaborative, but all they were doing. Less about cash, less about yeah, pure exactly. cash. But, but ultimately, you know, when, when organizations are mapping out their, their roadmap to, to, to the next, the next phase. And it's, it's interesting. So I, mean, I had a, a call yesterday with a, you know, very, uh, a very small rights holder by their own admission uh, and the vision they have outlined for the way forward is just fantastic. Um, and I think that the, what the, the guys with less money who've had less media cash over the years and, and have sort of, 
not allowed themselves to get complacent are the ones that probably will come out of this better because they are that they're closer to the reality of the situation they're in but but you've got this vision for 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 your strategy and you can do i don't know 50 percent of it who are the right brands or the right partners strategic alliances that can do the remainder and together what do we build that we can present to customers rather than Look, I've got one guy offering me 10 grand and one guy offering me 12 grand. I'm going to go with a guy offering me 12 grand because it's two grand more. It doesn't really matter. They bring no extra value. Um, and, and that's where I think, again, it's back to your question about, about, you know, what is the role of content? What is the role of sponsorship? You know, where does that sit? Everything needs to be contextualized into a strategy. And, and, you know, we all know that strategy is not a word that sits comfortably in sport. And that is, oh, there's one of my dogs. That must be the post. Um, that that is, you know, that again, people just don't have the time to 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 think about what could be two years down the road because all we're thinking about is what's happening at the weekend. I'm leaving my dog in, by the way. Um, so it's it's eleven thirty. Your postman turns up. Postman, it's well, post is not what it used to be, is it? Anyway. Uh, no, no, exactly. Probably something else that needs disrupting. Um, yeah. uh, I'm just going to close my door, Rich. Then, then okay, no worries, the, no worries, no worries. Just while Ben's away, I'll add in. I was thinking about my GCSE history there when he when when you were talking about. Um, uh, fans don't want to sit with a hoi polloi. I went straight back to my GCSE. History and of course, when they built railways, that was the start of seaside resorts. But of course, the hoi polloi didn't want to be with the, with the, with the, with the work, working class. So you get Southend and Westcliff, you get Hove and Brighton, you get Blackpool and Lytham. I think it is. It's it's interesting the way it works. Standard standard and first class travel exactly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, so, and you mentioned the crash of two thousand eight. You can argue we've we've not got through that you know we haven't got through that and one of the mistakes that was i certainly perceive being made in terms of the financial clash to, uh, of 2008 certainly in 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 the uk was they re they rebuilt what previously existed okay because that's the easiest thing to do what you're talking about is change right and that's that's fine but what but the mindset has to change surely the mindset has to change you've got Absolutely. to have You've got to have people with a different view. Isn't the easiest thing to do to change the people at the top? Not that that's ever going to happen, right? But they've just, you know, been putting a sticking plaster over their bit their businesses while COVID exists. And now you're saying, okay, build something different, build something better, maybe collaborate in different ways. Don't target short-term cash. That's a hell of a mind shift, isn't it? It, it, it is uh, absolutely, but I mean, I think this is I think this is what we you know what we need. I mean, if you look at the average age of season ticket holders uh, in, in sport, when I, I've been working in rugby, it's sort of 56, 57, 58 across most clubs. Um, football Premier League is about 44, slightly lower, but still older than the UK median. In the US, you've got Major League Baseball, 51. Um, you know, I think MLS is, is, is the youngest there. The NBA has actually dropped theirs. Um, but I mean, we can come back to the NBA. The NBA is a freak and, and, you know, a model that we really should be looking at more closely to understand. But again, there are, there are fewer sacred cows, I think, uh, there. Um, that, that's a crucial point, by the way. You, you look at MLS and NBA, my world of content, they are the two that have been most liberal, specifically their highlights content, which is absolutely, and they haven't put an arm around it like the Premier League or the NFL has. And consequently, social media wise, you can, it's not a direct A leads to B, but I think it's certainly a factor 
content, getting out there, getting it onto people's phones. The goal goes in, the basket goes in, and you can see it straight away. That's drawn people in, and therefore those audiences sit as two of the, the youngest around. Well, you go to an NBA game, and I've got to be honest with you, I, I, I can't get my head around basketball. It's not, it's not a game for me. I sort of tend to find the, the last 15, 20 seconds quite exciting, so that tends to be when it's, it's won or lost in, in my experience. But you come away from a match and think, that was just an amazing experience. And, and I've experienced sport, I've experienced tech, I've experienced music, I've, I've seen fashion, I've seen celebs, there's gaming. What is it? It doesn't matter, ultimately. Uh, and that's what I'm talking about, is, is we've got to get out of our pigeonhole and start thinking about what we as businesses are, what assets we have, and, and how, do we, how do we untap those, those assets, whether that's customers, whether it's, it's building brand equity and telling stories. And I think a big thing that will happen post-pandemic is, 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 is clubs really, really engaging with their communities. I mean, look, football in particular does a brilliant job with, with most of their community programmes. It's, it's a part of the, the industry which is unheralded and, and it gets a lot of stick, but the work they do in the communities is, is terrific by and large. Um, but I think we'll see... A real, a real purpose-driven approach, or we should be seeing a real purpose-driven approach behind brand. There's been this massive drive in the Premier League to sort of to, to, to internationalise, but again, because we don't understand marketing, we've tried to do it on the cheap, and you spend a load of time and effort, and not don't create a huge amount of value underneath, you know, the broadcast. And and I mean, God. 10 years ago at Chelsea, we started building pitches in the market, building, you know, communities around those pitches, mini Stamford bridges in the markets we were trying to grow in. But I had to do that on the sly because the CEO didn't understand it. He didn't see the value of it. And, and I fundamentally believe that's what we had to do. But I, I think there will be a re-engagement re and refocusing with, within the community. And that purpose will drive, uh, will drive brand. And I think I think that's that's hugely important because yeah that that is that is a, a, a USP that that clubs have and and I you know I think understanding you know if you think of I mean, most of these organisations even even in the Premier League would still be classed as SMEs in terms of their turnover but they are SMEs with a disproportionate amount of influence disproportionate amount of reach that that actually has never been capitalised upon because all we're thinking about is how do I engage with people who are going to buy my tickets? You look at what's happened in the NBA this week, you know, this is what well, over the last couple of months, but it's really come to the fore with um, the non-fungible tokens, you know, people spending thousands and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of, of, of dollars on, um, on, on, on becoming the owner of digital property. Um, we're seeing it now with, with people being able to buy things like Super World, being able to buy plots of land digitally and being an, and, and this is coming from sports organizations. And but but actually, are they a sports organization? Does it matter? I mean, for me, if there are ways to create revenue streams that will allow clubs then to say, well, actually, we're able to take that revenue and not spend it on another player that we don't need, but actually use that to subsidize ticket prices. That is going to be the way that they're going to get out of this because, you know, uh, as you always see, I mean, I, I wrote a blog about this recently, but you know, after every downturn, you see two different behaviors. You see a rush to quality and you see a rush to price. So, so people will, will, will save up and, and be happy to spend more 
on, on something expensive for a memorable experience, a special occasion or whatever. And they'll spend in the meantime, they'll spend on, on, on cheaper stuff. What they don't do is spend on the middle. The example I always use is the restaurant trade. And you see a lot of the companies, I think, in that middle have gone out of business, charging 40 quid for a bowl of pasta. It's not very good. You actually you come in, well, that was actually really a waste of 40 quid. I'd much rather have kept, kept that 40 quid and put it towards 150 quid dinner for a birthday or whatever else it is. Um, and that's what we always see. And I think we will see that again. I think there's a lot of sports organizations probably sitting in that middle where they are charging a lot of money for not a great experience. And I think those are the guys that are going to suffer. You talk, And I've heard a lot of people talk about sports organizations don't do this because they fear the reaction from their fans. I hear that a lot. And with my communications hat on and having run communications for a soccer club, and they're thinking, well, how much is, is, is communications a fundamental part of this and getting that right and telling a story over the long term about who we are, what we're doing. And OK, if we're not buying that player and we are giving you cheaper season ticket prices, the team might not be as good. Right. And I've heard lots of CEOs uh, and, and GMs and, and, and people who run clubs saying all I want is a winning team and everything runs from that. Well, what you've said just said and what we've just spoken about goes against that but you've got to communicate that effectively so how important is that part to the future because you you've got to couch what is seen ostensibly as a bad message yeah and look you know the c word customer is one which is sort of like kryptonite to um to to, to sports fans particularly in something tribal like football but that is ultimately what we're talking about we're talking about custom relations here and, and how do we how do we think of of those people and up until now for the most part it's very transactional it's one way i've got something i want to sell you you give me the cash and there's nothing particularly uh you know fundamentally strong underneath that um you know we talk about the emotion and, and absolutely look I, I i grew up um you know supporting a football team from the age of sort of eight nine ten i still watch every game but I don't. I haven't been to watch them live for nearly ten years. Um, they don't make any money from me, but they could do. I, I mean, I just don't have the time with a family, with work to travel. I used to go home and away, and it was great. But they make they make nothing from me now. Uh, I still have an emotional bond, but I am worth zero in revenue terms. Um, but there's nothing for me. There's nothing for me in terms of in terms of that. So. But communication is, is massive, but it's got to be part of that overarching brand strategy about, you know, who are we, who, who are we for and how do we segment that? And, and, and you know, we, we were talking about a little before we came on this call. It, it's 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 goodwill. You know, people will will forgive a lot if you treat them with respect and if you treat them as people rather than just customers. And I think sports been has been pretty bad at that. So, um you know, you need to treat them as grown-ups, as adults. They're, you know, they're, they're not stupid. A lot, of, a lot of the communications you see coming out of companies in any sector, you can see right through it. It's often disingenuous, but it always feels like it hurts a lot more in sport because you've got that emotional bond. Um, and so, yes, communication is 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 massive. And I've got to be honest with you, I think I think most sports organisations have done pretty well in the last twelve months. Um, I think. 
you know, there have been a couple of gaffes. I mean, you know, that the, the Premier League's decision to start charging, you know, the pay-per-view was you could see that coming a mile off as an as, as a massive own goal, totally tone deaf. Um, but I think most organizations have rolled brilliantly with the punches in the last 12 months. They've had so much thrown at them. And I think there's been a generally a, a good amount of sympathy. Uh, for them, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when when crowds are allowed back in, and uh, and see what people have actually learned from this experience. And, and do we just go back to treating them transactionally, or do we go back to that purpose driven approach, which I think can be hugely powerful? Um, and, and you know, and and, and see, you know, I, I, all I do know is, is is you know, we talk about a lot of hypotheticals about what post pandemic world is going to look like. All I do know is it's going to look not, not like what it was 12 months ago. Um, and, 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 you know, people, I think, going expected to go back to the status quo, I think, are, are, are going to be in for a, a rude shock. You've talked about the pandemic accelerating the conversation around digital transformation. It, it, it'll be five years ahead of where it was. So what's going to, what's going to be pushed forward um, in, its, in its growth and development, in your opinion? Well, I mean, we're having a lot of great conversations now with with organisations who, who who've recognised they need to do something different. I mean, the vast majority of people are, you know, have realised no match day, no cash. Wow, our business is completely highly leveraged, and I think I think most people are are looking, you know, are, are expecting some shocks, uh, you know, the, the shocks to continue. I mean, we've just seen yesterday massive massive deal with nfl um you know and, and the, the reality of economic downturns in every sector is the rich get richer the poor get poorer and you know that threshold bar where premium and not premium um sort of diverge is getting higher and higher so the amount of money that's going to go into those premium events means there's going to be less and less for everyone else um there's going to be a long tail in the corporate market i think sponsorship you know we were already seeing on top of the aging fan bases and the fact that we're not replacing them with younger people. So that the model is atrophying. Uh, and, you know, in rugby where I've just come from, you know, 57 as a season ticket holder and the average age, average life expectancy in the UK of a man who are 70% of the season ticket holders is 78 uh, or whatever, whatever it is, it's maybe 80, you know, you've got a 20 year runway uh, and that's the reality. That's the way you have to think about it. If you're not going to replace those, those supporters, um, with younger fans and you're not going to replace those old fans with younger fans with the current product that's for sure I suspect that's what CBC's um, have realized and that's what their, their plan is going to be for, for, for rugby um, but uh, but you know we've seen a huge in the last 10 years flight of, of, of brand spend away from traditional platforms not just sponsorship but across the board and into digital platforms that was happening anyway and I suspect that will continue to happen. And I think you know, we, we need to start that fight back. And we're seeing, you know, it is interesting, back to my point about the, the, the rich getting richer, we're seeing now a lot of activity in the M&A markets. We're seeing a lot of private equity firms, a lot of hedge funds coming into sport. A lot of these guys were looking at these anyway. It's just things now are cheaper because people are more desperate to sell. So it's a good time, yeah, always a good time in a downturn. If you've got money, you make more money. Um but, but I think those guys will be, you know, are coming in with plans to 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 revolutionise how we work, and and often it, it takes outside influences to make that happen. And 
whereas I think, you know, sport generally tends to be pretty uninhibitive. I mean, the number of conversations I had when I was consulting with tech startups, you know, with organizations who had innovation as one of their core brand values that, you know, let someone else innovate and then we'll follow, you know, that, that is not innovating. Um, the flip side of that very frustrating model is that if someone makes it work somewhere else, everyone else follows. And I think there'll be, um, there'll be, a, 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 you know, a, a lot of that. I think there needs to be more collaboration. I mean, certainly working in rugby, um, you know, the clubs tend to be pretty collaborative. Every, every, you know, everyone is thinking about the good of the game and how do we grow the sport. My experience of working in the Premier League is it's it's very um, it's very competitive, and um, you know, as we've just seen with with what's happened with the latest incarnation of of the, the Super League, which has now gone away again, now probably for another another 10, 15 years, it seems to be in that, that sort of time span as a cycle. Um, you, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's classic economic theory pre and post Adam Smith. And you go back to the NBA, the NBA is very much, um, you know, it's very much post Adam Smith. You know, this is, this is an infinite amount of value that we can create the rising tide lifts all ships. Let's, let's, let's keep building that out and we'll all get richer off it. Whereas, I think so in my time in football, they, they seem to feel like it's, it's more of a pie than a balloon. And, and how do I get the biggest slice of it um, rather than think about how do we work collaboratively? So I think that's, that's going to happen. Um, I think, I think we uh, defining and, and, and understanding what the, what value is over and above revenue, I think is going to be critical. So, uh, you know, we are talking about partnerships and alliances is understanding what is valuable to you. And if you have a growth strategy and you can achieve a part of it, who are the right partners to work with to help you achieve the rest? You, you, you combine that into a whole, you've got a much more attractive commercial proposition. So for me, this is going to be the age of marketeers, of value creators, of innovators, of strategists. And the salesmen are going to have to take a, a, a back seat because, quite frankly, what they've been selling is no longer of very much value. Is there going to be a split between the big boys and everybody else? Yeah, that was happening anyway, though, Rich, wasn't it? I think that's yeah. going to get. I think that's going to get exacerbated. But as I say, I, I think the guys at the bottom have recognised this. I mean, you know, I was I was doing a, a conference last week in. in in Poland and, and, and the guy interviewing me asked, said, well, this is all very well, but, but what about for the smaller leagues and the smaller kind of said, well, actually you guys are actually miles ahead in many regards. There's some of the bigger boys because they've had, they've, they've had all the TV cash coming in and haven't really thought they need to do too much work. Whereas you guys have been much closer to the precipice for a long time. And, and you, you're much more realistic about, about how do we turn a profit? Um, and so I think we'll see a lot, you know, those guys will tend to be a lot more agile. I think, you know, a lot more realistic. I think when you are faced with the, you know, the, the stark reality of sink, sink or swim, people tend to choose the latter and they, they, they get creative. You know, necessity is the mother of all invention, as they say. And I think that's what we'll see. I think we'll see a lot of innovation coming out of places that you wouldn't expect simply because we have to. And I, I think the guys at the very top, as we see in the NFL, will continue doing what they're doing. They'll be fine. It's the guys below that, I think, are going to be the ones that really struggle. It's a massive opportunity, isn't it? As, as, much, as, as much as it's a pandemic, it's been a nightmare for everybody. It could be the end of many sports, many teams, uh, effectively. Actually, the flip side of that, as you spoke, to, you spoke about, 
necessity is the mother of invention. And this is a huge opportunity if you can re, uh, recalibrate your thinking. No, we, 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 we recognize that, that um, you know, we recognize that this pandemic has woken up a lot of people to the fact that the commercial model is bust. Look, there are a lot of smart people who work in sport and there and and you know there are a lot of smart people who are just sitting you know caught on on the hamster wheel and and just desperately trying to get off and they were pre-pandemic and and it's just accelerated their thinking so you know it's focused their minds around it and and i think now i've realized we really have got to do something the reality is in the last 12 months they've had revenue streams cut they've had to lay off a lot of people and and so the resource is low the budget is low the optics then of bringing in paid consultants to do what staff and friend you know and let's be honest friends and comrades could have been doing is difficult so we've recognized that and, and we've actually pivoted our business model um to be able to offer our our holistic approach to building that that roadmap out of this in a way where we share the risk with 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 um, with, with with our clients, so you, you know, coming and saying, look, we understand where you are and you've got no money, but you know that you've got to do all this stuff. And by the way, here's a proposal for several tens of thousands of pounds. Doesn't really suggest that we've understood the realities of where they are. So, so we, you know, we, we've built a, a risk reward model, um, which. Um, you know, it seems to have gone down quite well. And, and it's actually great. I think that's what we're going to see more now is, is as going back to this whole world, you know, this partnership is partner A and partner B bring different things to the party. But, but ultimately, when you go into that partnership, you are genuinely incentivized, both of you, to make it work. So and I think that's a thing that's going to happen across the board. I think we're going to see a lot more of, of risk sharing. Um, I don't think anyone can be sitting there and saying, look, I, I want to de-risk this for me because I just don't think that's going to happen. For us, I'd say we can see a golden age on the other side of this for those that get their heads around it. And we want to help and we want to be a friend to the industry. And a big part of that is 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 structuring the way that we work, um, you know, to, to enable people to to, to buy from us because you know, there's no point as I say in presenting something which they need and they know they need but then making it impossible to buy that's not helpful at all so that that's sort of the decision that we've taken and and you know it seems to have gone down quite well and you know we're going to learn as we go I mean as I say we we have a lot of ideas I think we've got a very um, clear mind about the challenges ahead but how it will play out no one can know for sure um I mean, I, I remember in the, the Times leader in, in the morning after Lehman went under in 2008 saying there are two kinds of economists, one that has no idea that's what's going to happen. And the other is those that have no idea, they have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, it, it, things are going to change. You know, agility is going to be is going to be key um, and, and the ability to roll with the punches. Um but yeah, I think anyone thinking that we get through this and all the crowds will come back and it will be fine back to how it was, I think that that's just not going to happen. That's the one thing I'm really, really certain about. Ben Wells, thank you very much. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for your time. You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. 
Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com. Thank you.